This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kanesan, joined in the studio by the ever-present. Me, Richard Bradbury. Do you like ever-present? Do you I, like, I like being ever-present? Yeah. Oh, I, I can be ever-present, I can be effervescent, you know, either or works for me. Great. Yo, folks, it is Friday, the best day of the week, September 15th, 12.06pm, and today uh, in a... I don't know, is this a masochistic way of looking at Malaysia Day? Because we're going to talk about how <laughs> Singapore has jumped 10 places in the startup ecosystem and what Malaysia can learn from it. Rich, what? <laughs> I'm, no, I'll let you lead with this one. I mean, come on. It, it, I, I think you had a nice phrase earlier on just before we were going out the door when you were saying, you know, it's like leaving somebody behind him. Ah, wondering if yes. you've made the right decision. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, uh, 60 years ago, Malaysia was formed mm. and Singapore was part of that deal two years later. Not so much part of that deal anymore. Uh, And in that time, we have uh, seen to many comparisons, Singapore kind of just trottle along and leave us in the dust sometimes. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, there is a little bit of a comparison. Obviously, we still have better food, despite what some global charts may say. They're all wrong. Mm. Uh, but we trust this chart right here, right? So Startup Genome. Well, you're very spicy today. Unlike Singaporean food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I sincerely hope they know Singapore is listening. Um, so Startup Genome, a research and policy advisory firm, they do this annual ranking of startup ecosystems around the world. Uh, Malaysia, I think, was ranked around the top 30 in the last one. Uh, but recently, they did an update a few months back. And what they, what they did was they moved Singapore from 18th place up to 8th place. That's the biggest improvement in mm. the rankings. The top three ecosystems otherwise uh, have maintained their positions from 2020. Those are um, no surprises here. Number one is Silicon Valley, of course, followed by New York City and then London. Uh, both New York and London tied in second. And the rankings are based on a variety of factors, right? So we've got performance, but also things like market reach, infrastructure, and quality of the talent pool. Mm. So in the lead up to Malaysia Day, uh, we've decided to go with the angle of how Malaysia, what Malaysia can learn from Singapore's startup ecosystem. How do we close that gap? And is it fair, I guess, to benchmark ourselves against Singapore and other countries like that? Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you can drop us a WhatsApp on our U-Mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. Or you can reach us on X at BFM Radio. Uh, helping us with this conversation today is Dr. Sivapalan Vivekaraja, Senior Partner and Co-Founder of Scale Up Malaysia. And joining us virtually is Jeffrey Chia. He is General Partner for Asia Fund X at MSW Ventures. Uh, to the both of you, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Roshan and Richard. It's nice Pleasure. to be on. Uh, Jeffrey, can you hear us loud and clear? Very much. Uh, thank you. This is a unity discussion. Just a unity <laughs> yes, uh, Jeffrey joining us from across the causeway over there in Singapore. Um, Jeffrey, maybe we'll start with you since you've taken the time you know, to join us all the way from Singapore. Um, mm. what, what are some of the key... So we've, as I mentioned, Startup Genome has seen their, uh, has raised Singapore's ranking by 10 places, moving mm. from 18th to 8th. Give us a sense for some of the key characteristics and components of the Singapore startup ecosystem that have made it so successful, or at least have ranked it this highly? Thank you. I think that, that question is multifaceted. Mm. And I think that, uh, as you know, every research, every ranking, right, it starts with the measurements they are trying to look at. And, um, you know, different stages of a development of a new economy requires different measurements. So the tech world has been going around for many years. And uh, as every market evolves and changes, they 
tend to move change their policies. I think the last uh, startup genome has uh, done a great job out of San Francisco trying to measure the ecosystems of the world. And like the points you mentioned, those points actually apply, are very good for markets that started in the early stages. I think Singapore has reached a stage after 10 plus years where it is not purely in the control of the Singapore government or the market as well, because the entire market is filled with uh, different parties from all over the world. So I think in that sense, if you really are going for a, to build a new economy, you cannot be isolated or vernacular into one country. I gave a rather answer to you because the, <laughs> what, you, what you measure, well, how you measure will determine what your results are. And I think Startup Journal has done a great job doing so. Uh, but the Singapore ecosystem has evolved so much that it is now in full control of the market forces and less so the Singapore government. Right. So I think the key part of that point there is that it's not just about what the startup, the Singapore government is doing, but the ecosystem itself and the players involved, having brought in all these different players from around the world as well. Um, Doc, um, is there anything in particular that you know you want to highlight when we take a look at rankings like this and uh, the comparisons that we often make between an ecosystem, startup ecosystem like Singapore and ourselves over here? Thank you, Roshan. I want to actually start by talking about the way they have done the ranking in the first place. Mm. I think the way they've done the ranking handicaps every other country except Singapore. Uh, you know, there, there's this saying in, in marketing or in advertising, right? Lies, damn lies and statistics. <laughs> How you frame the question and what kind of data points you use will skewer the results one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So if you look at Startup Genome, I'm, I'm not being defensive here, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at Startup Genome, the way they rank it, they look at performance and funding. Just these two things alone is 55% of how they rank those uh, the, the, the nations, right? And if you look at performance, a lot of it is based on uh, exits and valuation of the startups, mm. right? And... Out of that, if you look at uh, the kind of companies they, they value, most of them are post-Series A as well. So if most of the companies are being, uh, I mean, if your nation is being valued based on Series B, Series C kind of companies, of course, Singapore gets most of it, right? Mm. And the second thing they value it on is funding, right? So the availability of funding. And we all know most VCs are based in Singapore, all the global VCs. So if you look at just these two criteria alone, no one else in the region can beat them. Mm. Because just in 2022 alone, Singapore uh, VCs in Singapore invested almost 11 billion US dollars, and in Malaysia, it's only 0.6 billion US dollars. Mm-hmm. So the criteria that you use determines your ranking, and we can never beat them in these so two you, things. So you kind of hobbled from the start. We immediately hobbled from the start. And not just us, right? Indonesia, Vietnam, everybody is hobbled from the start. Uh, I think if you really want to look at whether a nation is entrepreneurial or whether, you know, we should be ranked higher, then the other criteria probably should play a bigger role, like talent and so on. You know? So this kind of reminds me, based on your explanation, explanation, it reminds me of the Bloomberg billionaires list, right? Where it's mm. basically there's a quantification of assets uh, and deals done as opposed to the merits or the quality of the entrepreneurs, things like that. So Correct. if you're based in Europe or US where your currency is higher, there is a likelihood that you're going to be higher on that list. Or if you had an earlier start in a more older economy, that's also likely going to be part of that equation. Absolutely. Okay, uh, just before we move on to the next question, Jeffrey, do you have anything to add on to what uh, Doctor was saying just then? 
Uh, I think dog, uh, dog hit the nail on the spot there. I think the what you measure indicates what the results you get. I think Singapore has always been a commerce hub before the whole digital data tech world. It was always the crossroads of a lot of commerce and, and business across the world. And likewise, there's always a lot, it's a transaction port. Mm. So money has always flown through. The multinational companies has always stationed here. By nature of that, it gives a lot more opportunities for any startups that's based in Singapore, mm-hmm. not just Singapore startups, mm-hmm. because you have more sources, more people to work with, more people to test out your ideas, and generally there's more funding. I think the, the Obama regime's, uh, sorry, no, it's not regime, Obama. The Obama's <laughs> presidency's uh, intention, that was a Freudian slip, uh, to move, uh, to open up the Swiss accounts have actually caused many of family officers in Europe, that were domiciled in Europe, to move to Asia. And I think Singapore has been the benefit of it, has seen the benefit of it. And hence, the inaction of the uh, family office uh, laws. And that has actually given the market, the Singapore market, essentially another 700 to 800 VCs, mm. family officers. So overnight, the officers have come down. And then the, so you go. So the whole ecosystem is biased towards where money is mm. and where opportunities are. So I think those points, uh, uh, Doc Siwa brought up, uh, essentially valid. I think our focus should be on measuring the progress of a tech ecosystem rather than the potential measurements of uh, what I call uh, outputs because the progress is measuring the outcomes it's supposed to generate for the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, okay, can we just uh, uh, chat a little bit, uh, Doc? Should Malaysia's ecosystem look to Singapore at all as a benchmark or, or should they be looking at something differently? I think Singapore has done a lot of things right as well, right? If you look at, uh, if you go back in history, Malaysia was the first to start with technology in our, in our uh, economy with multimedia super corridor. Started in 1996, uh, enacted by our previous prime minister, mm. and we built Cyberjaya. People used to come here in droves. Bill Gates was an advisor. Uh, you know, we had all of those, those gentlemen and ladies from, you know, large corporates, mm. right? Mm. But we kind of lost the way along the way. What Singapore has been good at is to look at what other people have done and do better at whatever they did. When we started Cyberjaya, we only had one venture capital fund, MSC Ventures, with very small amounts. What Singapore did was they realized that their strengths were in finance. So they created an entire venture capital ecosystem by providing matching grants and matching funds, right? So they built their whole system. Um, we are now starting to look at that and doing fund of funds, for example. You know, for the last 20 odd years, we had government agencies investing directly. But when, when I became task force chairman under uh, Mosti uh, uh, Minister some years ago, one of our recommendations was we should look at other ecosystems, and Singapore was one of them. Mm. How did they build a solid venture capital ecosystem? Government didn't have government agencies investing. They provided the funds and they brought foreign VCs into Singapore and then they started investing out of Singapore. So we are now starting to do that. That's why now we have Panjana and things like that. So yes, we can learn a lot of things from them. The other thing I think we should learn from them is that in Singapore, there's one agency that looks after the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem. In Malaysia... If you really yeah. look at it, there's probably like 30 different yeah, agencies yeah. with every every. I mean, ministry. we're building a roadmap to try and decipher it, right? And, and you know, we've had roadmap after roadmap after roadmap, right? So I think the things that we should learn from Singapore, one is to come up with the right idea and the right plan, to stick with it, and to keep building on it for the longer term. Here, 
every government that okay the benefit Singapore has is they've always had one government. Right. In Malaysia, yeah. we have multiple governments yeah. coming in, changing policies, and every government comes in wants to do another roadmap. So we you, should stop doing that. To be fair, stuff. we had one government for sixty years. Uh, we did, and and you know that sixty years. Sorry, just under sixty years. But yeah. yeah. So essentially, you know, it's building a, a solid foundation, yes, and sticking with that foundation and building upon that foundation yes. rather than kind of taking a brick out here and there and making it uneven before you add another layer. Yes, and and you know, every new administration that comes in wants to set up a new agency. Right. You know, we shouldn't be doing things yeah, like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jeff, um, you know, Doc has given a lot, a lot of points to keep in mind there, really. Mm. Um, is there anything that you yourself would like to highlight? Oh, I'm listening attentively. I, I think, uh, <laughs> I think there's, uh, Doc has given a lot of credit to the Singapore government. I, I think that the, 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 there are some micro lessons learned there. When Singapore government first started off, it was a trial and error thing. I think they, they had financed, uh, they had financed their money. They gave money to the, foreign VCs. But the first two years of the foreign VCs work, they invested outside Singapore. Mm. Right? Because they realized that Singapore Singapore was built was built and the ecosystem was built for multinational corporates. So we have very good operators that work in many markets. But no one was going to come out of a good career in a Procter and Gamble or Citibank to risk their career to do a startup, right? Because Singapore was built that way for MNC workers. So they tweaked it and decided that along the way is to change it. And they asked, okay, fine. Then we have entry passes. We have a lot of people, tech workers from all over the world coming to Singapore. And that became a blueprint for a lot of younger Singaporeans at that at time to want to be like them. So it was a challenge of bringing the best of outside in, right? And uh, very quickly, Singapore government's uh, seven agencies all right, we are not as thirty as that many roadmaps, uh, <laughs> but we are seven. But slowly the seven shrunk, shrunk, and then now uh, they still have a few agencies, uh, like those in specialized divisions, for example, deep tech or food tech, because they, they we need that for for our economy building. But other than that, generally speaking, they just have a moderate moderating agency. In fact, uh, the entry level agency work in the past they used to do in 2013, 2012, I think most of them have uh, lost their efficacy. So it's an evolution process. You start with a roadmap, but you must keep improving, improving on it every year. And I think improving on the roadmap is not by changing the roadmap. But that's, the, that's my lesson learned. And for the record, right, Singapore, Malaysia doesn't need to learn from Singapore. Singapore has learned a lot from Malaysia too. In fact, as of last uh, 18 months, I think uh, the, some Singapore VCs have invested so much in Malaysia. Uh, there was a Singapore VC that invested 15 companies in Malaysia, right, at one go. And I think uh, Doc Siwa can talk to you about that. All right. And we will get into all that in a few minutes. We've got to go into a few messages, though. Folks, if you've just joined us, we've been talking about uh, potential gaps in the Malaysian startup ecosystem and what we can look to Singapore to learn from, um, you know, uh, aside you know, from the ecosystem, government initiatives, but also what the ecosystem itself is doing. That's the conversation we're having today with Dr. Siv- Sivapalan Vivekaraja, senior partner and co-founder of Scale Up Malaysia, as well as Jeffrey Chia, general partner for, Asia, for the Asia Fund. X at MSW Ventures, who's joining us over the line from Singapore. Uh, so keep it here. We're, we're going to a few messages, messages now. Uh, you're listening to Enterprise Business We've got a WhatsApp, which we will get into in just a bit. Some questions for both our guests to get into. I'm Richard Gunnison with Richard Bradbury. Keep it here to BFM 89.9. 
the business station. Bold, fearless Malaysians. BFM 89.9, the business station. Hey folks, welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. That was Lenny Kravitz with Fly Away and hopefully no more startups of ours fly away to Singapore. I'm Richard Kinesin in the studio with Richard Bradbury. And today we've been talking about uh, given Malaysia's uh, Singapore's higher ranking in startup genome jumping from 18 to 8th earlier this year. What can Malaysia's startup ecosystem learn from Singapore and whether that is a fair comparison? We've been having this conversation with Dr. Sivapalan Viveka Raja, senior partner at, and co-founder of Scale Up Malaysia, as well as Jeffrey Sia, general partner for the Asia Fund X at MSW Ventures. Uh, thank you both for keeping it here with us. Uh, Doc, you're in studio with us, so we wouldn't have let you run away. <laughs> but Jeffrey, you're joining us virtually. Thank you for sticking around. Hopefully you like Lenny Kravitz. Um, you know, Doc, earlier we spent a bit of time talking about some of the things that we need to highlight. Uh, and we have some questions that are coming in because, you know, we've compared ourselves to Singapore. So um, <laughs> I'm just going to get to this yeah. one. Uh, Michael from Shah Alam says, uh, the VCs are there because of the ecosystem. La. Why aren't the VCs coming here is the question. I reckon the ranking reflects reality as much as a ranking can. This is an interesting question. Let's pose it to the both, uh, both our guests here. Uh, Jeffrey, mm. would you like to give your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I think the uh, thanks for that, Roshan. I think the Singapore Malaysia thing is a historical thing, ranging sixty years ago. If we remove that uh, mindset, mm. I think every VC goes to every every market that has opportunities, right? And I think the Singapore is just based on its location. It has always been the point where finance is. So many VCs are there, and plus the legal framework and also the forex exchange allows the VCs better back end operations. So it's all perfunctory due to the back end, and it's not really on the front end. Mm-hmm. The front end, front end searching for deals, VCs go everywhere to search for deals. Mm. Okay, and so, so Malaysia is a natural place to go to. So I think to the viewers' point, I think the VCs are in Malaysia are in Singapore because of the financial framework, but the deals are still everywhere, and I think many have come to Malaysia to find deals. Doc, uh, any thoughts on why there's so much funding in Singapore and the legal framework there? So I think uh, Jeffrey has addressed it quite well. But again, we need to go back to history. And if you go back to the early 2000s, the Singapore government actually realized that their strength lies in the financial sector. So what they did was they provided a lot of funding, matching funds to bring VCs into Singapore. And the strength of the currency is one benefit, of course, for them, right? So when they did matching, they did amazing kind of matching. They even matched seven to one. Wow. So for every one dollar that you bring, the Singapore government puts in seven dollars, right? Now, that kind of matching, nobody else can do. But Mm. they realized that they needed to make it really sweet to bring the investors in. And that brought a lot of foreign investors into Singapore. Now, they have the financial muscle to do this, of course, right? And even today, they still provide matching. And, and they went from 7 to 1 to 4 to 1, and maybe now they do 1 to 1 or 2 to 1, right? But they've already built that ecosystem. Uh, in Malaysia's case, we went a different route. We decided to set up our own government agencies. Uh, Malaysian government put money in and tried to invest in that way. So if you look at it in that sense, there's only so much money you can right. put into that, right? Whereas on a matching basis, you can bring foreign VCs mm-hmm, in. Mm-hmm. So the reason why uh, VC is successful in Singapore is because historically they did it that way. They did it right. 
and they have a lot more money they can put in as well. So if you look at the amount of funds under management uh, in Singapore, Tomase alone has about 17 billion US dollars uh, funds under management for venture capital alone. Uh, and GIC, uh, uh, Government Investment Corporation, has about 11 billion or so. And that's all in US dollars, right? So there's a lot of money uh, under management. So that's their strength. They have been playing on their strength. We cannot match that. Let me ask you a question, Doc. I mean, I, I just hypothesizing here. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh, um, inkling as to why it was chosen to do it like that, to have a pool rather than matching back in the day? Whoever advised the Malaysian government then advised them badly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Honestly. And if you look at how that f- the funds were given to the government agencies, they were even given as loans. Right. They were not given as investment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and what happened was, when they gave it to them as loans, they demanded repayment from the fifth year onwards. So our VCs were already immediately handicapped. We, we keep talking about being handicapped, you know. Yeah. But the VCs were handicapped because they knew they had to repay the loan from the fifth year onwards. And that pool was getting smaller and smaller and, and smaller. Pool, yeah, you know, so they actually put money aside to pay off the fifth-year loan payments and sixth-year loan payments, so which means they didn't really invest. Mm, mm. So it was structured badly. So Malaysian government, the previous governments, were badly advised. And then they also set up multiple agencies because every government that comes in sets up its own funding agency, mm, right? Mm. I think that is now being corrected. The new government is actually looking at it in terms of fund-of-fund structure, very similar to what's happening in Singapore, Korea, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So that's been corrected. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we don't make those mistakes again. Doc, could you elaborate a little further on fund of fund structure, so that you know, for someone who's not familiar with that, what does it mean? Okay, so a fund of fund structure means, uh, let's say, an entity like the government provides some amount of funding to the venture capital industry. So let's say two years ago they provided six hundred million ringgit as funding. And they set up an agency called Penjana to do this. Now, fund of fund means the government doesn't invest directly. What they do is they invite investors or VCs, right, to partner up. So we have foreign VCs partnering up with local VCs, and they bring in a certain amount of money, and the Malaysian government puts in this money. But the investments are done by the private sector VCs. So the government only provides the funds, does some overs- over- oversight on it, maybe has some say on the mandate, but all the investments are done by the private sector. And when those investments are successful, they will pay the government back, just like any other limited partner or investor in a fund, they will pay the government back 80% or whatever that's due mm-hmm. to them, right? That's a fund of fund structure. That means you don't do direct investments, you allow the private sector to do direct investments. And the private sector is motivated to do it because if they invest successfully, they make money. But if you go back to our old government agencies, they were only paid a salary. Mm-hmm. They were not given this share structure where, you know, you get 20% of, of, the, of the profits, right. yeah. the, the uh, 20, 80 20 or 220 right? So if, in a private sector VC fund, if they are successful, they keep 20% of the profits, 80% goes back to investors. In our government agencies previously, it's, you don't get any of that. You just get paid a salary. So they are, they are almost like VCs, but not quite VCs. So the incentive for them is, I'll get a bonus if my fund does well. But not like the private sector where, you know, hey, I'm going to make a lot of money. I better pick great companies and make sure they're really successful so I can make money. So the fund of fund structure works a lot better because you get experts doing the investments and not government agencies doing it. While we're on the donor governments then, let's talk a little bit about how the different approaches. Uh, I know we've been touched upon it a little bit. Um, 
Jeffrey, how is the Singapore government, just you know, to give everyone a little bit of over your summary here, mm. how has the Singapore government traditionally approached building and investing in the startup ecosystem? And where is that today? I think that's a good, uh, I think it's a good time now to go to turn the clock back and look at backwards, right? The Singapore government took in a lot of advice uh, watching the Israeli government, the Israeli tax sector, the San Francisco sector. And I think one of the early, to, to the earlier point that Doc Siva was talking about funds, right? In the early days, the Singapore government gave money out to the VCs as grants, right? So it was a grant. So the money of seven to one, you have to bring some money of your own to invest in a startup. You recommend it to us. The Singapore government gives you seven to one. Your ex- and the return, the simple return is this, okay? Anything above whatever the startup delivers, exits and money, the money goes to the VC. So the VC is incentivized to pick the right company, right? Because they get the returns. Mm. So there was a grant. And those grants were for early stages. And obviously, there was a lot of write-off. But the Singapore government was very clear about this. They learned it from Israel and San Francisco. You got to write off a lot at the start before you, you do, before you get, get big. So as the, as the industry evolves, the fund of fund structure came in. Originally, there were four VCs that got it in Singapore. And this was in... 2015, 2016. Now I think there is close to 100 VCs in Singapore who got funded funds from related Singapore government structures. Mm. So what this does is the VC now, now this is no no more grant. The VC, the government is now an investor in the VC. Mm. So it gives you money. The VC needs to make the money work. And there's something called a hurdle rate. A hurdle rate means you need to make this amount of money for me before you can get your bonus. Now, you are totally incentivized to pick the right companies <laughs> and you don't pick your cousin's company or your wife's company and, and, and invest <laughs> in it because if or else you're going to end up with nothing at the end of your fund and you'll be so embarrassing because the Singapore government put it out on a notice board to say you did not deliver a single mm-hmm. cent. Mm-hmm. So the evolution of this ecosystem was always, at the start, it was a grant basis. I mean, you can do it with one body or many bodies, but people are clear. We are starting... At a very low level, small checks, 20, 30 ringgit, 20,000, 30,000 ringgit, you can write it off, no problem. But if he wins, the VC wins big, the VC takes a bet. Mm-hmm. But later on, when the companies are getting more mature, the ecosystem is better, you do fund of funds, like what Panjana is doing. You give money to professional VCs and you tell VCs you have a hurdle rate, deliver it, get the companies big, create new jobs for us, new people, new jobs, attract new MNCs to come here because of this. Now we win. You win. We make money. You make money. We get new economy. So that's the evolution that Malaysia should aim for. Okay. So, Jeff, with that in mind then, do you see it all upon the government to stimulate the startup ecosystem? Sorry, I, get a, I didn't get a question, Richard. It, with that in mind, is, do you think it's all upon the government to stimulate the startup ecosystem? Oh, that, uh, excellent question. The government has to work hand in hand with the businesses mm. because the end result of any startup, right, is actually a new capability that's being built for current businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all we have been talking about disruption, technology disruption, but the disruption is a dis- disrupting the current status quo. Core. Well, what you're doing is you're creating a viable business model that goes to the traditional businesses. Like, look at Malaysia. Malaysia has always been a big agriculture economy. Now, the agri-tech business is getting so big in Malaysia right now yeah. because, you know, if you get technology in, perhaps you can get rid of your need or dependency for foreign workers or illegal Aceh swimmers that swim across the Aceh seas, right? You don't, need, you don't need those workers because technology can solve the problems. So if you get your agri-tech right, your economy gets stimulated in many different ways. 
So the partnership of the businesses very important, mm. right? And this is in my in our VC world. If you invent something new, already at the start you're going to affect a lot of people because everyone's worried you'll break their rice bowls. Mm. But if you ease it in, they see that this is a better way of doing things, and the companies, the big companies, will adopt it. And mm. that's when we call it in the trade, you get product market fit. There's someone who wants to work reuse your product. Now that will actually generate the economy, and that is a real measure. That to me is a real measure of the success of the tech ecosystem. You generate real business outcomes, not just number of startups. To Doc's point, it's not just a valuation of startup. You actually change your core economy capabilities, and then your skill, the people working in the economy architect suddenly are so highly skilled. Mm. Now that is the power of tech, mm. and that is that's really what we measure on as Malaysia move forward. Now, a lot of talk about where Malaysia has come, what we can learn, but what challenges lie ahead. That's something we will get into in a few minutes with Dr. Sivapal and Viveka Raja, senior partner and co-founder of Scale Up Malaysia, as well as Jeffrey Sia, general partner for the Asia Fund X at MSW Ventures. I'm Roger Kanison with Richard Bradbury, and we will be back with Enterprise Biz Bites in just a few minutes. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Building Future Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hey folks, welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Kynason with me, Rich Bradbury. And today we've been exploring Malaysia's startup ecosystem and making certain comparisons to Singapore given its eighth spot ranking in the startup genome rankings. Uh, helping us with this conversation has been Dr. Sivapal and Viveka Raja, senior partner and co-founder of Scale Up Malaysia Accelerator, as well as Jeffrey Sia, general partner for the Asia Fund X at MSW Ventures. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for sticking around with us. Now, We've talked a lot about funding, funds of funds, financing, uh, all the money, uh, all the funds that are parked in Singapore, whether it's VCs or family houses or family offices. Um, but building a startup is more than just funding, although uh, a big part of it is the money. So in terms of you know mentorship and networking opportunities, uh, maybe give us a sense of, of how the ecosystems differ uh, between Singapore and uh, Malaysia. Can we start with you, Doc? So if... If you look at networking and mentorship, Malaysia actually has done a hell of a good job, mm. right? The government has been very, very supportive of entrepreneurship. They have provided a lot of funds to train entrepreneurs, to coach entrepreneurs. And admittedly, we have been a big beneficiary of that as well because we've coached a 1,000 companies, almost 2,800 wow. entrepreneurs over the last 15 years. Um, and, you know, we have seen the government wanting to really do something about entrepreneurship. Uh, so that's a great thing. In terms of networking, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. Uh, in, in Malaysia, there's always events happening all the time. I don't think that really is a problem, right? I think the problem is what happens after the mentoring mm. and what happens after the networking how can these entrepreneurs actually grow their businesses and get where they want to go? Mm. Funding, of course, is one of those issues. But beyond funding, there are several other things that we need to get right in Malaysia to help our Malaysian companies. Um, for example, our local companies don't generally buy Malaysian technology, except especially the big guys. So you look at the PLCs, the GLCs, even government procurement. That's changing a little bit now, government procurement. But if you look at the big boys, the ones that have the money and who can pay big bucks to buy solutions and services, don't buy Malaysian. Mm. 
One great example is there are there are quite a few GLCs in Malaysia. If you want to sell them something, a solution perhaps, you have to be in the Gartner Magic Quadrant. If you're not listed in the Gartner Magic Quadrant, the GLC just will not buy your product because they can't buy your product. Mm. Because it, it's the same story of, you know, if someone buys IBM and if it fails, you can't blame them, you blame IBM, <laughs> right? But if you buy a local Malaysian startup's product and the company fails, they will say, why did you buy from this small startup? Mm. So we need to fix that problem, right? And, and the government can play a role. Richard, you asked about whether governments can play a role, yeah, right? Yeah. The government can play a role because in our local ecosystem, the large companies are all either GLCs or they are PLCs in which our pension funds own big stakes in, right? So if you look at that, we can actually do, I mean, the government and, and the pension funds can do some arm twisting and say, look, guys, if you're, going, if you're going to buy solutions, buy Malaysia first. Only if Malaysians cannot produce something, then you buy foreign. But I can tell you, Anything, almost anything that they want, Malaysians can produce. Mm. Because Malaysian companies are selling stuff outside Malaysia successfully. Right? We had a company, SoftSpace, that came and spoke to our, one of my programs that I ran, the 100 Sunicons, right? He had to go to Thailand and sell his solution to Thai banks before he could come back to Malaysia and sell to Malaysian banks. So I think, you know, if we talk about networking, that market access thing, that has to change. Mm -hmm. If Malaysian, the large Malaysians don't buy Malaysian products, we will not help our local companies to grow. And that's going to be holding us back as much as the lack of funding. Uh, Jeff, what would you like to add to that? I think, uh, I think Doc Siva is 100% correct. And that was exactly what happened in Singapore. I think Singapore in the early years, a lot of tech uh, founders came up. But, you know, every minister, every government official was talking about the funding, the grants that were given 7 to 1 and stuff. But the guy who's talking about it from the ministry his ministry's procurement program is exactly counter to what he was doing. It was always against the startups. So for a period of time, none of the Singapore startups, even though they're funded by the Singapore government, couldn't even join the Singapore government tenders. Right? They were, they were pushed out of tender. When, so you talk to the minister, you say, hey, you are giving funding, but your actual ministry is not even using the startup services when you can. And the general conversation was, oh, um, we have a... We have a procurement unit uh, rules under Ministry of Finance, and then it says that you can't do if you are not profitable. So I said, so where does that go? Do you want to push your economy? Or? So, so it's almost like you're born from the same mother, but you're slapped by the same mother, right? And, uh, so, so, That's an analogy. Yeah, so it, it is a, it's a weird one, right? And I think today there's still this struggle, there's this tension, mm. right, between... Stoking your economy, giving new capabilities at the same time, are you willing to try it? Mm. Now, for Singapore's case, there's a second element, I think, uh, which was the multinationals. They were here. So because of the multinationals, they were based here, they gave a lot of problems. They gave a lot of, sorry, a lot of uh, problem statements, problem which a lot of startups try to solve. And because of that, when they try to solve something, they go to these big multinationals and say, hey, I got a smart solution for this. Then we have a lot of people in Singapore and the multinationals who are not from Singapore. And then they say, okay, let's, let's give this a try. So the moment they give this a try, suddenly there's some momentum. Like in, in Asia, everyone, everyone wants to be number one. But they will ask the question, right? I'm, I want to be number one, but can you tell me who has done it before successfully? Mm. How, do you, how do you be number one when someone has done it successfully before you, right? Mm. So I think that 
what you call a proof of concept is so important. So for the quick answer to this, and the Singapore government is still uh, trying hard to do this, is they should be the first customer mm. of every startup. Mm. If the Singapore government can be the first cu- customer of every startup, if any government can be do do that, that startup will have a lot of more confidence in going out to get new customers. Okay, we are coming to the end, and we're going to have to ask you very quickly as we wrap up. Uh, Doc, I'll start with you. As we do head into Malaysia Day, then, uh, where do you see the trajectory of Malaysia's startup ecosystem going this century? Put your thinking cap on. I am actually very positive mm. about where our startup ecosystem is going. We are starting to correct a lot of the old mistakes that we made. Uh, funding, for example, with, with Panjana, even MathCap doing fund of funds, right? So hopefully that one will be solved. Uh, and if that is solved, that's already a very big win for us. The second thing is the Malaysian government also now recognizes that they need to do more procurement of Malaysian solutions and, and, and products. And so now the Malaysian government under Mosti has come up with this thing called My STI, Malaysian Science Technology Innovation, yeah. where if you are if you are verified and listed under my STI, the government can buy your products and services. And I think the government wants to expand this. So if, if they do this correctly, we will solve the second big problem that we have, as in how can startups sell to both government uh, and the large corporations? So if we can solve these two problems, then all the hard work the government has put in to you know, coach entrepreneurs, train entrepreneurs, uh, build capabilities, if we solve money, and markets. The other thing in the middle is mentors, mm. right? We are very good in mentors, but we're very poor with money and markets. If all of these three get solved, I think ultimately we will see a much stronger ecosystem and we will. Th- I think we will build some really great companies. And if we start doing that successfully in Malaysia, we will then give these companies an opportunity to expand outside Malaysia because Malaysian entrepreneurs are very entrepreneurial but they can't go outside because they can't even solve internal problems. If you cannot build your own market locally, how can you go and sell it out abroad, right? So I am actually very positive, mm. and I think the next few years and decades should be a lot better for Malaysia. Okay. Uh, Jeff, what would you like to wrap up with? Well, I think uh, Doc Siva has given three M's, right? Money, mentors, and um, what Markets. was that one? Market, right? I think the fourth M, which I'm going to just add on to it, is momentum. Mm. I think what a Malaysian government can do is to help push the momentum a bit. You can give funding. You can give the market. But can you push the, them to have the first deal fast? The moment you, momentum is a, is a habit. It's a practice. It's so self-generating. When you get momentum in your business or the startups, the more money will come more mentors will come, more investors will come, and there'll be more enthusiastic people. Mm-hmm. And that this will just pay off by itself. So if any government wants to do it, it's about momentum. And there are two countries in the world who are excellent in, that, uh, in the past, right? One, the first one, obviously, Israel. Then I thought after that, the Americans has always been there. But there are two other markets in Asia that's super quick at momentum. One is China, and there's Taiwan. Yeah. They're really fast at pushing things. And that is how the Taiwanese and the Chinese took over the Japanese and the Koreans in the electronic world. Mm. So momentum is something that can be stimulated. And I think that should be a focus if anyone, every government wants to build a tech ecosystem. Wonderful note to end this conversation on. Thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us today, as well as Doc Siva. Thank you both for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, folks, we were speaking with Dr. Siva Palan, Viveka Raja, senior partner and co-founder of Scale Up Malaysia, as well as Jeffrey Sia, general partner for the Asia Fund X at MSW Ventures. And we had a wide encompassing conversation about what Malaysia's startup ecosystem can learn from Singapore and whether it's a fair comparison. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. We also suggest that you go and share this with your family and friends, especially if they're involved in the ecosystem. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the 1pm news bulletin and this one is a bit of a spicy one. Over the weekend, Moa MP Syed Sadiq announced that he will be the third force opposition as a sign of protest against the dropping of 47 charges against Deputy Prime Minister Datuk Sri Ahmad Zahid Hamidi in the corruption in his corruption trials. This leaves the ruling coalition with 147 seats in the Dewan Rakyat, one short of two-thirds majority. We asked Syed Sadiq about the future of the party after suffering major defeats in the sixth state election as well as the rationale behind his decision to quit quit the government bench. I'm Roshan Kynason with Richard Bradbury and this has been Enterprise BizBytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.